Back again for the second time this week, we're here to break down all the news from the past week in independent league baseball and give some thoughts on a very insightful interview from earlier in the week on this edition of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. Alright, we are back again for the second time this week. We are here to bring you the news. And nothing but the news and discussion and insight. So, <laughs> full, full house. We have a whole slew of stuff to talk about, such as the American Association delaying the start of their season. That was about a, a week ago now or so. Uh, Gateway sending out a letter, as well as some other things here that will be coming up. However, before we jump into all that, I feel like the best course of action would be to discuss the interview that we had earlier in the week, the one that went up on Saturday with former Florence Freedom manager, current Santa Jose Giants manager, Dennis Pelfrey. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it was a really interesting interview. Uh, I thought, you know, he talked a lot about things that made a lot of sense, uh, particularly what I, I really liked was when he talked about the Pecos League and some of the things that we've been talking about a lot on the show lately was kind of those squabbles and, the, you know, this guy says this and that guy says that. And how, like, it, it winds up not mattering to players and managers. And it all really kind of becomes noise to a certain point. And the focus needs to be on the players. I thought that was interesting. I just thought his journey was interesting, right? He starts out, he's coaching high school baseball, he says, and then he winds up uh, getting back in and coaching uh in the independent leagues and and now we see where he is and it's just a really cool story so very interesting guy and it was great to to have him on and get his take on a lot of the things that we've been talking about and his own story which was very insightful yeah exactly the part that i personally like the best is the way he discussed working in the independent leagues talking about how as a manager you're more than just a manager you're kind of a team president too you're also partially gm that you're running everything around the stadium and how you have all these various responsibilities and like you said how he said uh how belfried said that i i was making fifty thousand dollars a year with good benefits yeah but I felt like I needed to at least try to see, is that my ceiling? Is my ceiling being a high school coach? Is it being an independent league coach? How high can I take this? And right. following that passion. And definitely taking a lot of risk. I mean, taking a $20,000 a year pay cut, nearly half your salary gone, plus losing your benefits when you're starting a family and you're moving to a whole new state, a whole other region of the country, really, when you think about it, and taking yeah. that kind of risk on. Not only does that take a really important structure of support around you, you know, having having a spouse that really is, you know, backing you 100% and having the those people in your life, but it also takes a lot of confidence in yourself to say, I'm willing to risk this and that if I don't do this, I'm going to wind up regretting it down the line. And I have confidence that's going to work out one way or the other. Yeah, that was really interesting. I mean, I think making that kind of shift is something that is is difficult and a, and a lot of guys struggle with and is the reason ultimately that a lot of guys end up retiring uh, and moving on to other things because they just don't have the, their support system 
wants them to be done. Their spouse, their partner, etc., wants them to be done immediately. <laughs> get it done as you know, get this baseball stuff out of your system. Uh, so for him to have that kind of support system was really cool and really shows that how it it, it takes a village uh, a lot of times to get people where they want to be within independent league baseball because there is so much. Uh, struggle so much hardship before so much work that you have to put into it before you can climb uh, to where he is now and you know and obviously hopefully wish him beyond where he is now and you know I think also the other thing that that you brought up that's that's really interesting like you're saying is that you have to be that GM and the, the manager and a little bit of the GM and a little bit of the you know cleaning crew and a little bit of this I mean you have to be you have to wear multiple hats and it's the same kind of thing uh, we heard from the Ducks president. It's the same kind of thing we've heard a lot in independent league baseball. There is no, you know, one, you know, uh, putting on an act or being better than anybody else. Now everybody's rolling up their sleeves to get to the next level or to keep the keep things moving the way they're moving. And it, it really makes kind of puts in perspective, at least for me, how interesting that a game that we work within, right? We talk about independent league baseball every week and the behind the scenes aspect that fans don't see is so interesting and so compelling. And I think it's something that really is important that we do need to continue to talk about because it's not <laughs> It's oftentimes not, you know, 10 people, 20 people, 100 people like it is in major league teams. They have obviously hundreds of employees, but even in minor league teams um, that are affiliated, there's more employees with more specific roles. But for an independent team, it's, you know, one guy who's doing, you know, everything that needs to get done. And then you have some other uh, unpaid interns who might be doing some other things as well. So it's really, uh, really an interesting component that we don't get to talk about too often in minor league baseball. A hundred percent. And then the weight that takes on you is something that was also very interesting to me. How he said, honestly, the best part of taking this job with San Jose is how I just have to worry about fielding a good team. My job is now entirely on coaching these guys, on uh, trying to put right. out the best nine guys I can every day. And just seeing how much of a relief that is, it shows how much it takes to really do it at independent league baseball. I think a lot of people often think, oh, well, the stakes are low because they think, oh, well, independently, that's below affiliated, even though, to be honest, a lot of the teams are comparable with higher level affiliated teams that exist but even still they don't think the stakes are really that high and so if the stakes aren't high then it can't be that hard when in reality no the stakes are plenty high i mean it's not a life or death situation here but at the same time it's not like it's totally just playing for the fun of the game it's also playing because these guys want to move on they want to get into an organization they want to continue their career on a higher level but it also was incredibly difficult because, you're, like you said, you're wearing a lot of hats. You're putting out multiple fires at the same time. And if you don't put one out, then you're going to have to deal with it later on. And it's a lot, um, there's a lot of hands involved to do more jobs than uh, there are hands. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's part of it that's so difficult is, like he said, he, he talked about it and he hit it on it really well. But got to do 10,000 different things. You've got to, you know, pull everything together. And it is high leverage in terms of the fact that it's your future. I mean, he, like we said, he made this big risk, made this big jump, but he's got to try to make it work. And being, you know, it's one thing to try to make it work and be, you know, just the manager, but to have to deal with all of the little things that it takes to run these independent league teams because you don't have the same type of network in place that you would other places, 
is really uh, difficult and trying. And there's something that I think, like you said, the average fan is just not thinking about when you go to the ballpark. I mean, you go to these games and, you know, there's a, they're a fun, lively atmosphere and they're relatively inexpensive to get into. And it's just a lot of fun to go. And you're thinking about, oh, well, you know, it's probably not that bad being a manager, but you don't think about everything that goes into that game day experience that goes into the ballpark that goes into getting guys where they need to be and all of that is really so important to what the game actually is uh, on the field that fans sometimes take for granted 100 percent. and one of the other things kind of shifting off the topic that i found interesting that he brought up was that how there's this weird idea amongst people and we're guilty of it too that the Frontier League is somehow miles below the American Association. How they're not that comparable. He went and said, look, to be honest, having played in the American Association, having coached in the American Association, then, then managed as a Frontier League manager, the difference really isn't all that there. They're a lot more comparable than people want to believe. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, the, that was interesting, that they're more comparable. I mean... I do think that there is a jump between the American Association and the Atlantic League. Um, I do think that there's a little bit of a leap there, uh, as we heard a couple weeks ago. But uh, I, I do think that the or the American Association and the Atlantic League. But I do think that for the American Association and the Frontier League, it's not that much of a jump. Uh, you know, now it's a little bit different, maybe because of the new teams that are coming in from the Can Am. But for the most part, I mean, you're dealing with the same type of talent, the same type of guys often the same guys who get rotated through these different leagues. So, it, yeah, I mean, certainly I don't think there's that much of a talent jump, and certainly there isn't, like, a, a prestige or a money jump that you're going to get. If you're, you know, uh, working for the Somerset Patriots, it's probably a different experience than if you're working for a Frontier League team, but I don't know how much different it is than you're working for an American Association team, although you'd imagine working in, like, St. Paul or playing in St. Paul would be a little bit different than playing, let's say, uh, with the New Jersey Jackals uh, now of the Frontier League. So, I mean, I think there are uh, kind of points where they diverge, but for the most part, I think across, they're two very equal kind of leagues. I thought it was very interesting how he brought that up and talking about skill level and whatnot. And as even when we were talking with uh, Craig Maddox, how he was saying, the jump from American Association to Atlantic is just such a huge jump. Just because in the American Association, you'll have a handful of guys that can touch 90 and really get it up there and have some range with their pitches. But in the Atlantic League, that's every pitcher. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing. So you're seeing probably similar talent for the Frontier League and, and the American Association, but the Atlantic League, as we've talked about over and over again, is just not in the same category in terms of on-the-field production and play uh, and for there's a multitude of reasons for that however i do think that you know if you took the best player in the atlantic league versus the best player in the frontier league versus the best player in the american association you know it wouldn't be too far off in terms of um difference but we're not talking about the best player right we're talking right. about the everyday day-to-day -day guys i think the american association is definitely far more comparable with the frontier league than it would be with the atlantic league um which makes a lot of sense to me from what i've seen of the three leagues and it's not to knock anyone it's not to say that anyone is uh any more deserving of uh being an independent league it's just the reality of the situation as it presents itself now yeah no i just i, I thought that was a very interesting point i wanted to call some attention to it uh yeah just before we move on to uh news and everything like that there any uh 
anything you want to say in just general summary of uh, that interview? Yeah, I mean, it just a, it was a great interview. Uh, really, just shows someone who is uh, really dedicated to the game of baseball. Really, uh, an interesting person to have think about the kind of the complexity that is independent league baseball and how sometimes it's not really an easy, um, really an easy game to be within. And there's a lot of hardship. There's a lot of struggle that goes into it. And so, you know, again, I want to thank him for coming on and kind of sharing his story, but also uh, kind of showing a path that there is a path to this. You can play uh, in the uh, American Association and the Frontier League and then retire and then go, you know, come back and coach and make it to the affiliated leagues. And there's there are I think his story is a good one because it gives guys who might be ready to make that shift in their career and say, is it possible to do this? Is this something I can do? Can I shoot for this if I go within the American Association or within the Frontier League and I want to go work as a coach and I'm a high school coach now, is it possible to do? Um, and if it is, you know, then it's something maybe I'll consider. And so to have his story on, I thought that was really good um, for those people who might be listening who are thinking, you know, that might be a possibility for them. Uh, so, I, you know, again, thank him for taking the time and uh, coming on. It was really a very interesting interview. And uh, again, uh, the, the other thing I just want to touch on in summary is just how um, how professional that he did handle the interview and definitely how much, you know, we have to think about when, uh, you know, when you have guys that are, are talking about these leagues, how he's certainly focused on players and, you know, becoming a uh, better player, getting players to become better and move to the next level. And he really understands what that takes. And I thought that was particularly insightful. You know, I, I, I loved having Dennis on the show. I thought he was a tremendous asset to have on, and he made a lot of really interesting points. And the thing I th I was thinking about afterwards, I was like, I wonder why that interview felt different, but different in a good way. And I thought about it for a little bit, and I came to the conclusion of, you could tell he used to be a teacher. You could tell by the way he's answering questions and the way he's explaining his point and the way he's kind of explaining the details and the elements of what he does and various aspects of his job. You could tell he's explaining it to you a lot like how a teacher would explain how to write something, how to solve a math problem, how to how to work through something. And I like that way of having him explain something like that because I think it was very insightful for people to listen to. And uh, I think... I think it was really easy for people to kind of comprehend and understand and listen. And I thought that was a, just a great way of having it. Because I'm sure a lot of people are just kind of throw the podcast on when they're in the car or when they're doing something else already. So they're, well, they're listening. Sure, they're not paying great detail to it like you would when you watch a movie or something. And so when you have that really kind of simplified explanation of something, I think it makes it really accessible to a lot of people and makes it rather easy for people to kind of begin to grasp what he does so i thought that was great i thought he brought a lot of insight into a lot of various things and made a lot of good points so dennis pelfrey is always welcome on when he wants to be on we love to have him back on again uh sooner than later so uh, again thanks to dennis for coming on the show we appreciate it a lot yep absolutely and uh, i second everything you said there i think his diction and how clear he was about explaining kind of his journey his story uh, and everything in general was really really good and something that uh, i'd love to have on when maybe one day when i'm there uh so i could have a uh, get a chance to talk to him too
before we move on to the actual news, we will just say uh, this week's show, which will come out on Saturday, so I believe that is May 2nd. Yep, May 2nd, we will have another guest on. We will have Carson Lee of 1% Athletics and, and current Pecos League, I suppose it is. That interview is as good, if not better, than the interview we did uh, this past week. So looking forward to having you guys hear that. That's also about an hour long. So we'll probably uh, tack the discussion portion onto that interview. And then we may do the same thing we did this week where we put out the interview and then we put out the news. Uh, moving forward, we will move on now to some news. It's a little out of date, but, you know, it's still important to talk about. And to be quite honest, nothing much is really happening at the moment. So we'll, we'll kick it off here with the American Association officially announcing a delay to their season. They announced it a little over a week ago. It was last Tuesday. The commissioner, uh, Joshua Schwab, was interviewed by Sean Aronson. He is the play-by-play guy for the St. Saint Paul Saints. Uh, he handles their media and whatnot. Confirmed, it is going to be delayed. Just That's kind of something that we all were expecting to happen for quite some time now. That ball finally dropped. He said the teams are going to need about uh, 30 days of lead time, so they'll have to announce the season starting about a month before the season actually begins. Uh, they're committed to playing an 80-game schedule. The reason they picked 80 games was because they figured uh, at least a couple of them were going to get rained out in there, so that way they could at least factor in for 70 guaranteed. Uh, outside of that, I'm not really sure if they're willing to condense that anymore. He did say they are willing to play at a loss if needed, my assumption for that is essentially, and do do jump in here if you disagree or have anything okay. to add here, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's more or less just to keep the brand alive, to keep the brand in people's minds here. Because a year without yep. baseball, you could easily see a market saying, oh, whatever happened to them? Oh, they're still playing? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, easily. I mean, I think that's exactly what, what it is, right? It's uh, it's also, yeah, it's getting fans in the seats. It's getting people to remember what uh, independent league baseball is and that it's still there and that's still part of their community. And also, I think the other big thing that it's a part of is thinking about it from just a purely business perspective. Any money is better than no money. I mean, it's better off to get, get some uh, fans in the doors and, you know, play some baseball than to play no baseball. I think that that is ultimately probably what, you know, these leagues want to do. I don't know if we're just in a spot where it can happen. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I do think that it would be better if they, even if they played a loss, it'd be better to play at a loss than not play at all. Because that would be very difficult to not play at all. But I think to to play at a loss, it's you're, like you said, it's branding. It's, you know, this is our market. This is what we are. We're here. We're here for the community. During this trying time, we'll be here for you, uh, for your family as a safe place to come. You know, we're all going to be socially distanced in the ballpark and whatever the requirements may be. And I think that would be an interesting thing moving forward. And it's like you said, it's more of a move for 2021 than even it is for 2020. It's, you know, when the 2021 season comes rolling around, if we have a vaccine, uh, you know, hopefully uh, everybody will want to come back to the ballpark. Yeah, I think it's just to keep that whole branding and imaging alive. And like you said, at least you get some revenue in and like, you know, you're going to be playing at a loss already. So I, I assume that's part of it. I do wonder, though at least to a certain extent, it, how much of a loss you take by not playing as compared to playing for a handful of games. 
Because I imagine there's more of an expense coming in if you have to put it on a game, but yet you only have, say, 200 people in the ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I think that that would be very interesting. I'm not sure what would be more expensive. And it'd probably differ based upon team um, and league, but probably would be more expensive, uh, you would assume, to put on just a few games with nobody there than to just leave everything closed. Uh, that would be my assumption. I mean, I could be totally wrong on that, but yeah, I think that that that's what sense. I yeah, that's what I would think too. Because if you figure, if you have the ballpark open, even if you open it at half capacity, so you only have to have half your normal staff there, you still figure they gotta get there at least two hours before the game starts, and they're there for probably an hour afterwards. So if you figure the average game's about what two and a half hours or so then it would be yep. mm-hmm. an additional three hours. So let's call it six hours in total. Even if you only just call it five hours, if they're being paid at minimum wage of, let's call it $8, I'm sure some states have a lower minimum wage and some states have a higher minimum wage, but we'll just use $8 because that seems like a, a rough approximation of it. That's about 40 ahead. Figure if you're running a staff of, say, 15 people, it starts to add up. I mean, you're looking at, what, about $600? Yeah, I mean, just in that, yeah, it's a lot, and you're, yeah, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of different factors that are at play there. That, I mean, just to staff and get open for one game would be, it's a lot of money. Yeah, plus that's not even factoring how your water is going to spike, your electric's going to spike too, because now you have to leave the lights on, you have to have electricity running all your equipment. You have to have the water going in bathrooms and whatnot, obviously, and that's going to yep. be flowing a lot more. There's a lot more expenses, and if you figure the average cost of a ticket is, let's say, uh, $10, then even with 200 people in the ballpark, you're only looking at, a, what would that be, about uh, $2,000? Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. That's exactly. not uh, not really... It's not, it's not uh, tenable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. It's just not something that's sustainable, and you couldn't do it. I, mean, I don't know if you could do it. I don't know if you could make – I mean, that's a, that's such a huge loss that I don't know if it would be worth it. You'd probably have more teams be in more financial trouble if you opened at that point than if you didn't. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out roughly here in my head. I'm talking through it now. You figure the lights being on is probably about 70 an hour. So you figure if you start the game at 7, lights got to come on at around 8 figure eight nine throw them off at 10 that's 210 dollars in lights so now we're at 810 dollars in total expenses if water you want to call it say i wouldn't even know where to begin on that even you want to just call it 200 in water now we're looking at a thousand so now already half of your half the money you coming in is gone so now you're calling it 1000 and that's not even factoring in for the food you're gonna have to provide to players the the water that's going to be used to wash and clean uniforms, the equipment used on the field because dirt, chalk, all that's not cheap, especially yep. if it rains and you got to throw down like quick dry or something. Yep, you got to put down diamond dust. Exactly. I mean, like you already have a lot of expenses there that are going to pile up and whatnot. And I imagine too how you normally see some uh, EMT group or a couple of cops there. I imagine the team's at least partially responsible for paying them as well. And, I'm sure in most situations anyway. Exactly. And I mean, the cops are going to be more expensive because of the unions. So, yep. I mean, they're going to be at least probably 50 an hour. 
now, even if they're only there for three hours, that's 150 per cop or two of them. That's 300 there. Now you're left with 700. Even if the EMTs are volunteers that are being there, still, you're left with $700 in profit from the night. Not sure. And I'm probably forgetting about a whole bunch of expenses or misestimating them somewhere. So even if you want to call it a plus minus of general, like a margin of error, rather, of say $200 to be generous. So now you have $500 and that's assuming I'm not forgetting anything. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I have no idea what those costs would be. That'd be actually something interesting to have somebody on to break down for us. Maybe we could kind of have that happen because I don't know exactly all of the, what those costs would be, but I, you, you know, your estimations sound about right. But again, I don't know. Uh, but the, the only thing that I could say in regard to that is it makes a lot of sense to me to leave, you know, to, to not open things if they're going to put you in a worse financial situation than you're already in. I mean, like if you're, you know, if you're going to be in a bad spot financially, these teams are going to be in a bad spot financially one way or the other. But if they're in a bad spot financially and it is only compounded, only made worse by opening because you have all these expenses and you might not get, I mean, you could probably, I mean, we've seen, uh, the Skylands in Sussex County be so empty for like 35 a people. Like, what was it? 35? 35. I remember crying. I can't recall if it was 35 when I counted or 50. I think it was 35. And then when we left about three innings into the second doubleheader game, I counted up to 150. But to be right. fair, that was like a Wednesday. So. Right. It was sure. Right. I mean, it, yes, absolutely. It was a Wednesday doubleheader rain out thing, and it was yeah. it's an anomaly. And it's it and it happened. did start. And also, just want to really hammer home because I know we do have a fair amount of Sussex people listening. Yeah. That one was also a very weird doubleheader where it didn't start at like eleven in the morning, ten in the morning, like you normally would. It started at like three in the afternoon. So, and then the second game started like five o'clock in the afternoon so you really weren't getting anybody there because both games started while people were still in work so right yeah, absolutely you know. I, yeah i, I mean I, i'm not suggesting that that's the norm yeah i'm just, I just saying want that, to it. yeah right yeah i'm not suggesting that that's the norm so, skylands usually as ravenous fans we go up there all the time but the point is the only reason i make bringing it up at all is because there are times where these games are light on attendance anyway under decent circumstances i mean it's just a random wednesday but what happens if something like that has to happen right and then you're gonna have limited seating anyway i mean limited people who are gonna go anyway on top of compounded on something else like a rain out and a weird scheduling conflict and all this stuff so i mean it's it's definitely something that uh, is, is is a great concern to me is do we want to actually play? The, would it be more financially stable or, or more financially helpful for us to play part of this season and lose a whole ton of money getting everything open, or is it better to just cut the losses uh, and try to you know gear back up for next year with whatever you can? Yeah, I don't honestly. What I almost wonder is if you'd be better off. Because I understand you want to keep the branding alive. Because a lot of these teams, if you just don't have the branding, it's really going to hurt when you come back the following year. On top of the fact, people are going to be really gun shy, especially if we get or if slash when we get the second wave of this virus that comes through probably in the fall. 
Yeah. I mean, you're going to have people that are going to be really skittish and really gun-shy about going out to baseball in 2021. So I am very, I'm, I understand very much how you'd want to get at least even 20 games played just to keep the, the imaging alive and to main, to maintain the sponsors that you have, which that's a whole nother issue because a lot of these teams are, you know, so they're sponsored by local uh, businesses, small businesses that probably don't have the money at the present moment in time to spend buying up ad space on an outfield wall. So that's, yeah, that's the, certainly the other component to this. Exactly. So that's an, that's a whole other problem in of itself. So I mean, it's it's certainly not it's not an easy proposition. But I wonder if you could almost have like a barnstorming type thing, you know, like we see a lot that uh, Joe Torre does with his Black Sox a lot, where he comes in in the preseason and on Fan Fest and uses his guys to play against the uh, the home team there. I almost wonder if something like that could be more tenable in certain markets. Yeah, I mean that would. That could be something. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's I mean, a difficult situation. There's really no good answer exactly. yet. Exactly. Yeah, because you still I mean, there left. Might be no good. Yeah, you're still left with a very difficult position because you still have the expense of you know opening everything up. But you know, maybe maybe that works better. Maybe. I mean, maybe. I mean, I, I'm I'm willing to say that any anything and everything should be looked at uh, because it's just one of those situations where you're dealing with uh, so many moving parts and so many things where people just don't know what's going on. I, I, I don't, yeah, I think that there's a lot, a lot at play there, uh, you know, could compound on itself in bad ways if it's played wrong, but every Avenue needs to be explored at least. A hundred percent. And that's the, that's where the difficulty is going to come because you, we know one knows what comes next. And another major problem is if you, and this is all factoring that there are people that will show up, but if you have people that show up and one of them has the virus or gets sick immediately after, or if one of your staff gets sick or if one of your players gets sick, I mean, you got to shut it down again. And there's not, there's no coming back from that. I mean, there's that to factor in. Plus, I mean, you're seeing right now with all the major sports, the NBA, NHL, MLB, they're all saying, oh, well, we'll just quarantine our players in a couple of hotels, and it'll be fine. We'll still be able to play like that. But the major issue is you can't do that with indie ball guys. You can't just hole them up in a hotel. A, you can't afford to rent that much of a hotel for that long. B, I really don't see these guys being game for that. And most importantly, C, most of them are going to use host families. There's no way around that. And I think it was brought up on uh, one of the ESPN affiliates by uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, they had Charlie Meyer on, GM of the Salt Dogs, and they asked about the host family. So I may have been, I may be thinking of the uh, Evansville Otters present that went on and did a thing on local news, and they asked about host families. I, I can't recall which one it is that I'm thinking of at the moment, but that's a major component here. And if one of them gets it, the player doesn't necessarily get it. You got to quarantine the player, and they can't be there. And as we heard from from Belfry last week, or earlier this week, rather, I mean, you, you only have a limited amount of roster spaces. You only have a limited amount of transactions. So now that team's really up the creek, just from a baseball perspective. Right, absolutely. I mean, that's the host family deal is going to be difficult, right? I mean, very difficult. I mean, it, it, you don't know, you know, those people aren't... Um, 
exactly going to be uh, you know comfortable doing it. I mean, I don't think they'll any, anybody will be comfortable having somebody in their home right now at this point in time. So I think it's really a, a difficult situation, living there anyway. Uh, yeah. It'd be a very difficult situation. And yeah, I mean, I just overall, I don't know how this season gets played. As I said on maybe last week's show, I don't know how the season gets played. Uh, maybe I'm pessimistic, but I just don't see it. Yeah, I. it's becoming awfully hard to figure that out now and even still because i see things are saying oh well this drug may be working uh it doesn't make a statistical difference right now so it doesn't really matter but once it finishes clinical trial maybe it'll make a big dent and even with that coming through that doesn't change the fact of people will still need to get sick before they can get the treatment you need something that's preventative like a vaccine to really make the problem go away or you need for the virus to burn itself out. There's re- those are really your only two options here. And now I was hearing that apparently even if you get it, it may not give you full immunity. You may only get partial immunity from it, which creates a whole other issue in of itself because that makes it not only hard to actually get a vaccine developed, it also means herd immunity doesn't really work. And that, again, right. that's a problem too. So there's a lot of elements going in here. And unfortunately, I think you're trending towards being more correct about this that it's looking like we may not have baseball this year and then you really have to wonder what does the landscape look like here and we'll talk about in a little bit about the whole milb deal that's going down but between that and then as summer without indie ball and only mlb baseball i really do wonder how the minor league landscape is going to look like at the end of this yeah i mean it'll be definitely definitely a difficult thing to see how it uh kind of works out yeah, it'll be very difficult to see how it works out. Yeah, so uh, with that, we'll kind of transition, still talking Corona a little bit, but we are going to look at it from more of a frontier lens as the Gateway Grizzlies sent out a letter about last Monday, so the 20th, so about 10 days ago now, reaffirmed what we already knew, that they're working on it, and echoing some of the things that uh, Josh Schwab had said, saying that all of the independent leagues are in conjunction with each other, so they're all sharing any information they have. They're all kind of planning together, working together to try and figure out something that will work for, obviously, each independent league and the individual teams, but they're all kind of sharing information, figuring if something works for the Frontier, it may work for the Atlantic, it may work for the Americans here. So they're all in conjunction. Uh, they reaffirmed that. But they also gave us some new news, uh, how they've boiled it down to really four contingencies. Um, and they are the following. Plan A, which is to start playing in June. Now that's really optimistic, and to be quite honest, we kind of need to know that information within the next two weeks. If that's going to yep. start, we're going to need to know it then. Which, if you're to believe that we're going to need about six weeks of lead time, like I believe it was the Schomburg uh, president or GM had said, we're going to kind of need to know that this weekend. So I'm very doubtful plan A works. Plan B is to start in July. That seems to be, I don't want to say the most likely, but the most possible, I think, is the better outcome at the moment. Uh, If baseball gets played, it will probably start in July. That much is what we know. So then there's also plan C, which is extending the season through September. Uh, I think that's going to be necessary regardless. Uh, Plan A or plan B works regardless. I think plan C has to be involved in it. And then there is plan D, which is obviously the option nobody wants, but is very much on the table and becoming more and more probable each day, which is there is no 2020 season. That uh, that seems to be the deal. It seems that those four plans also seem to be pretty universal across independent league baseball. 
teams, there's a lot of uncertainty, and they're each trying to find their own solution, each being each individual team, at least according to the Evanville Otters president, John Stanley, when he gave his interview with the news. All these links into everything that we're mentioning, uh, that's in the show notes, as you all have come to expect by now. And he was the one, actually, who mentioned host families, and he said the host families can be used, but there needs to be a lot more testing. So, basically, we need a shit ton of testing in order to use host families. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely what I would expect. You know, I don't want to be right here. I really hope that I'm wrong and we get baseball because I there's nothing more in this world that I love more than going to a baseball game and breaking down, you know, how these guys doing and how that guy is doing and coming on here and talking about it. Uh, it's the, the highlight. We had big plans uh, for this summer, um, but uh, unfortunately, it just seems that. Uh, you know, this is going to be a difficult situation and we really need good leadership at this point. And I'm not sure uh, all the time we have the leadership that's necessary to, to make these steps on any level. I think it's just such a hard thing to do. And you really need uh, leaders who are willing to, to be straight with the public and understand just the gravity of this situation. So, I mean, I'm hopeful uh, not to say that I'm not hopeful. I hope that uh, this will pull through. But just from a realistic standpoint, you know, it'll be very difficult for the independent leagues. It's not, it's possible that we'll have the major leagues start back up again. There's plenty of plans getting tossed out there. And I wouldn't be surprised if they start up over the summer once, uh, you know, if we start really getting a handle on this. But I think for the independent leagues, it'll be a little bit more difficult because there are so many variables that go into it. Exactly. And I want to point out too, I saw a tweet today that said, uh, that MILB has not ruled out their season. So affiliated minor leagues could start, which means independent minor leagues could also start. Now, obviously, independent leagues have right. much rougher because they don't have nearly as much financial backing from anybody. So it's a lot more live within the margins type uh, lifestyle for those teams. So it's, it's going to be a real rough path, like you're saying. And, I mean, we all want baseball back. But at the same time, public safety and public health comes before baseball it's just the reality of the matter and you hope sooner than later we can play but i mean as we've just spent about 20 minutes talking about you gotta you gotta make sure that everything's in order before you start and if that costs you the 2020 season then that's that's just the price of doing business and whether or not I guess what I'm trying to get across is you can't do anything that's going to jeopardize the 2021 season as well. Because two years without baseball, that's not tenable for anybody. And there's going to be all but about, I'd say, 10 independent league teams that are going to go down because of that. Uh, yep. So that that's just not tenable. They need to play at some point in the next two years, which is crazy to be thinking about how, oh, that may not happen. If it means sacrificing one year, then I think that's a sacrifice that you have to be ready to make if necessary. Now, hopefully it becomes not necessary, but, you know, it becomes yeah, more I mean, and more likely. You're right. You're so right. Public safety has to 100% come first. However, I am, I'm very hopeful that next season will get played. Uh, not, I, I don't know about this season. I'm hopeful that next season gets played. But like you said, I mean, it's such an up-in-the-air situation. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, no no country has really gotten rid of the virus yet. There are countries that have uh, kind of tamped it out a little bit. I know New Zealand has worked on it, and they're pretty low uh, new case-wise. And Australia seems to be going down and other countries. So there's not there's a blueprint. Um, 
if the United States can follow it, then we'll have baseball sooner. If uh, the United States cannot kind of get itself together from a contact tracing perspective and, you know, figuring out how to get people uh, socially isolated and socially distanced in a way that can allow society to continue. I, I don't know if, if it'll happen, but you know, we'll have to see. I mean, you just got to wait and see. And it, it is all dependent on the virus, right? I mean, we can make any projection that we want, but if the virus is going to dictate what's going to happen in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months, which is crazy to think about. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we're in for the long haul here and I'm hopeful that it'll recede enough uh, that we can get some baseball played this summer and and get the the help to those teams and those communities that do need the influx of baseball as one a distraction and two just the economic bump from the season. Exactly, and I mean we talk about this on I think a little bit even of a superficial level because we didn't even dive into just the business ramifications of this and how this affects how a team operates, the things that will have to be cut to make it viable again, how it's going to affect getting getting and retaining and even retaining uh, the sponsorships that you already have, how it affects getting new partnerships, how it affects your scouting budgets, how it affects everything, how everybody's going to have to take some sort of a cut here. And we didn't even discuss about how you can see the league salary caps drop as a result of this, which is something I kind of expect to see too. But uh, that those are all things that can be discussed at a later time as I'm sure one way or the other, we are not going to have uh well, terribly much baseball to talk about in the near future, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, not in the near future. Hopefully in the, the not too distant future, but certainly not in the near future. Yep. So with that, we're going to move on to something we talked a little bit about last week. We mentioned that we we're going to bring up what's happening with Gastonia. And I figure bring up the Frontier League expansion too. Why not? Because it's all in the general realm of expansion. So as far as Gastonia goes... There is literally no news on the Gastonia front. Uh, the most recent news comes from February, which obviously doesn't do us too much good because a lot has changed since mid-February. Uh, I think that would be an understatement to say. Yes. <laughs> and all that's really left to say, if you want to see the progress being made on the uh, Fuse Complex, you can go to the link in our show notes. That's the live stream of it. You can literally watch a live stream with them of the work site. So uh, I know North Carolina is doing a pretty good job with keeping everything locked down. Still uh, they their version of lockdown is awfully reminiscent of a New York or New Jersey way, which I suppose is much better than uh, the Georgia way of doing things, which is to say not doing too much in that regard. Yeah. So I, I don't know if they're going to go back to building it anytime soon. I'm not sure if they can go back to building it anytime soon, but uh, yeah, they're getting or there. They have the, the economic ability to go back to building it anytime soon. Uh, That's yeah, true I too. Mean, I mean, I hope so. Uh, it's, it, it's a, we're living in a very different world, as we've said. Uh, we're, you know, two months ago, three months ago, uh, anything that was going on is not what's going on now. So it's certainly a, a wait and see period uh, for everything and everyone involved in independent league baseball. And if I'm Gastonia, you know, you know what? I'm waiting until 2022. I'm waiting. I'm pushing it a year. I mean, that's honestly not a bad idea. I mean, you don't want to have an inaugural season where you're last in attendance. I mean, we already saw with High Point, too. They didn't have to deal with a pandemic. They just had some construction delays, and 
those delays were the reason why they did poor in attendance because they couldn't get the group sales done. And without yeah. the group sales done, uh, they did poor in attendance. So I, I honestly don't think it's necessarily a bad idea to wait till 2022. You still use a Road Warrior team. You could still honor all the agreements you have going forward. You just kind of bump everything up one year and you just keep running with it, you know? Yeah, you keep running with it. And I think but I think that if we do what we're supposed to do, by 2022, this will all be worked out. Uh, I think there'll be a vaccine or something, some kind of a treatment. Something will happen or it'll just be gone. By 2022, I think, I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist. I have no idea in terms of statistical fact. But I just, one would have to believe that after two years, this would at least be at a point where it's under control, right? I, would, um, I think it would either be at the point where we either have some sort of prevention, some sort of really effective, or I would say really effective, but it'd be treated like getting bronchitis, or we'd all be dead. I, th- I right. think either we're going to have reach our body count limit, have a prevention, or have a fix in two years. And if we don't, then I think at that point, everyone's just going to kind of collectively go, yeah, it is what it is. It's the new normal now. I guess we're going to have to deal with it. Right. I mean, so yeah. Uh, yes, I do think that's true. And yes, so I, I think that by 2022, you know, this will, it'll be a much more tenable situation for Gastonia to come into. You can get those group sales done. The ballpark not even might not even be done by in time for 2021. There's no point rushing into it and then having this really, you know, difficult situation where it's you know the team folds because you know you had a 500 person attendance in your inaugural season one because nobody knows you finished your stadium and two because nobody wants to go out of the house you know exactly yeah that's the that's the big thing that you don't want to have to have this throw out the red carpet and have nobody there to walk down it i mean that that's the worst case scenario there like you're saying and uh, quite frankly like you said give the extra year let people calm down about it make sure that it's actually financially viable too because keep in mind i assume i haven't heard it and this is just speculation but I imagine if the Frontier League, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, still wants to have 20 teams by 2022, which seems to be uh, a bit pie in the sky now, but it always kind of was, I kind of assume that the Atlantic League's going to be like, hmm, we have eight teams. Our two rival leagues have 12 and 20 respectively, or 14 and 20 respectively. Maybe we should think about trying to jump up to, at the very least, double digits, you know? So if you have Gastonia fail after getting a brand new ballpark built and getting your team in there to be the centerpiece of the crown, then it doesn't vote very well for going to other towns and going, you should build this stadium and we should put our team here because it'll work. When they could go, well, look at Gastonia. Even if it's not fair, that's what's going to happen. It's going to make it a lot harder to get it built. Oh, yeah, it's going to make it a lot harder. There's no way. I mean, it's just that is... I don't know. That is just not, not, there, there is no way you get 20 teams. I mean, there's no way. I mean, that, that is, at this point, that is, you know, a pipe dream. I mean, it's just not something that is realistic under this economic circumstances. Now, the economy that, that the Can-Am League and Frontier League merged in, yeah, you know, there was a shot. You know, it wasn't a good shot. It was a long was a shot, shot still because tw- jumping six teams in 2022-2021, so two years to get to your six-team mark, not going to happen. You're not, you you got to add three teams each year? Yeah, no. 
That ain't happening. I, I thought that would have been difficult. But you know what? I mean, I, I thought they would have at least added two or three. I thought at least they'll add two or three. I don't even know about that now. I don't know. I mean, they might contract. I mean, you might need losing some teams. Like, yeah, like right now, think... the plan is just to keep what you have. Like, and that, yeah. that's a win. That That is a win. It's it's something that, uh, I don't know. That To me, that is just out of the question for this point in time. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason why uh, in Lafayette, the new Loeb Stadium, that construction set to resume now. It got shut down for two weeks because of the uh, coronavirus, but now it's going back, and I'm not sure how great of an idea that is, but that's a whole other ball of wax in itself. Yep. But the, the Frontiers expect to throw their bid in, and I'd have to assume that they would have been, at the very least, one of the leading candidates to get it, to be one of the three there. I assume it would have come down to the pre-existing team that played in Loeb Stadium beforehand and was kind of given a wink and a nudge, you'll be in here, don't worry about it, and the Frontier League, them. Instead, there was only two bids. They're both summer leagues, and people were wondering, well, why didn't the Frontier League throw a thing in here? This would have been perfect. It's a brand new stadium. It costs, I want to say it's like $25 million or something like that to build. So it's a nice stadium and a nice ballpark, and it's right in the heart of Frontier League territory. It's right there in Indiana. You could go ahead. You'd have Evansville right there. You'd have a whole bunch of other teams right there. You have a good rivalry going. And to that, I answer, because they can't afford it. They don't have an owner that can afford that right now. And they don't have a pre-existing team that you could just take and plop in there. And to find a new owner in in this kind of situation... And then to be able to say, yes, I can afford to fund this for at least five years. I have a five-year-out plan. I mean, you're not going to find that right now. And the people that can afford it, they're not going to take that kind of investment because already you're losing money on independent league baseball. So there's not that many people that can afford to lose money at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's not that many that can afford to, to eat, you know, the, the cost of developing a brand new baseball team i mean you know give me a break i mean that's that's just uh you know not gonna happen these days I mean, it's just not where people are economically even those who are well off having their uh pockets get tightened a little bit i mean even those who are in really good financial shape are in now just good financial shape because there's a lot that's going on that's you know really affecting every facet of the united states economy Exactly. And I mean, there's just a whole slew of other issues here that you have to factor in and just it's so difficult here. And now off the bat here, I think it was all it was kind of an open secret that Ottawa was scheduled to come in in 2021. I have a lot of doubt that that's happening right now. I have a lot of doubt we're going to see Ottawa again in the near future. And quite frankly, I have a lot of doubt, like we were just saying, that we're going to see any expansion in the Frontier League anytime soon at all to be quite honest i i see it more like we may see an expansion team in 2024 maybe maybe yeah i mean like plus i mean let's be honest here there's probably a handful of well-established teams in the frontier league with deep enough pockets that they could reasonably speaking make the jump to an american association or an Atlantic League, if we're being honest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> if we're being honest, that's true. I mean, it's just the whole situation, the, the, everything that is going to go into this is going to be disrupted. The patterns, the ebbs and flows are going to be disrupted. And I think as we're going to talk about here in a second, 
MLIB is going to have a huge impact on this as well. Oh, 100%. I mean, let's jump into that right now. I mean, yeah. we know that MILB has reportedly conceded to MLB's demands that they are willing to call the number of teams, so 42 teams to get cut down on. However, those teams are going to be different from the list we saw in November. And obviously, the operators of the minor league teams are against uh, the whole plan in general and a whole bunch of factors into there, but you're entirely right. What markets die in this or get cold in this uh, new agreement between the miners and the majors here affects it. I mean, if you have some teams that we weren't expecting to get knocked off, get knocked off, then yeah. all of a sudden now it's like, okay, well, maybe we could jump into that market. Maybe we already have the operator here lined up that could work or something like and, that. But You know, the thing is, is that if there is the Dream League, that's a problem. From the for independent leagues. If it's not the Dream League, it's not a problem because you could have some teams that get wrangled into an Atlantic League, or that's how the Frontier League could expand. If you have these, you know, uh, you know, single A, low A, short A markets that you know you maybe you could put a team in, um, that might be uh, not a terrible idea, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you have like a Binghamton if, or something like that, that could definitely work. It's in the realm. Exactly. But if you have like a dream league, forget it. Forget it. Then it's another whole mess of an independent league. And it's just, there's too many moving parts at that point. Yeah. Then also you have to figure that a lot of markets that you would have been looking at are going to jump over to that dream league instead. Plus, I then also wonder, is this dream league MLV's way of saying, look, we like what we just did this past season with the partnership with the Atlantic League. What do we need the Atlantic League for? We could just drop them, drop this whole partnership deal, create a Dream League of our own, give the Dream League the same amount of support we give to the Atlantic League, and just basically substitute the two. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't see why not, right? Like, that's the problem with the Dream League, is that the Dream League takes over for the Atlantic League, so the Atlantic League is going to get knocked down a peg, but it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to die, because it's the Atlantic League. So it's going to get knocked down a peg in terms of prestige. It'll be the, the second-tier Atlantic League. But then where does that leave the American Association and the Frontier League? So Yeah, it leaves them just leave, in the wind. And then where does that leave the Pecos League? I mean, there are ramifications that we can't even begin to get into at this well, point. So I think the Pecos League will be fine. If anything, they may benefit here because think of it like this. All those Western markets that are going to be dropped because of this, there's no real major Western League out there except for the Pecos League. I mean, the Pacific Association is not in this state to be able to afford to expand. I mean, they just they just invited a team to join that's named after a damn meme. So I don't really think that they are of a concern to really expand. And unless this whole Western League thing that we've been talking about since July, or, well, technically <laughs> since August because we didn't put out a show in July. Uh, <laughs> but we'll overlook that for the moment. Uh since we really came back from the hiatus, we've been talking about this Western League, and they all they have all of one team in Henderson, Nevada. I really don't see them putting up much of a play here to jump into these other markets here. So you already have a team like, say, the Rocky Mountain Vibes. I know they were on the November list. I assume they'll still be on the list of teams to get cut. You don't think the Pecos League would love to have another team in Colorado? And if you have a team in Colorado, who's to say you don't go, huh, let's take this team out in... Uh, you know, Bozeman, Montana, let's take all these other teams here. And then we could put a Northern division. We could have a mountain division. We could have our Carol, our uh, California division. We could have all these other divisions here. We could expand to be a major kind of, and I'm not sure how much they'll love me saying it, but a major feeder independent league. 
Sure. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what ultimately could happen. But I, you know, but I think the, the what it hurts the most is the Frontier League and uh, the American Association. And I, I don't know if both would be able to survive if there's a Dream League. I just don't I think one or the other would have to kind of go. And you'd probably have St. Paul move out at that point. They'd probably go into the Dream League. Um, no, they've said, like, I want to point this out here. Uh, the Saints executive vice president and GM, Derek Scherer, he was asked about this. And he said, we're a member of an independent league and we're happy being independent. is part of our DNA. It's in our blood. We are going to stay independent. We are flattered that we are offered this. But A, we haven't, or that we're being discussed, you said. But A, we haven't been offered anything yet. And even if we were, we have no desire to leave the independent ranks. Right, but I don't think the Dream League would necessarily be leaving the independent ranks. No, it would be. They're not. They're they're not an independent league. They're still an MIL. They're not an MILB league either. There is weird quasi yeah. zone. Yeah, that's confusing. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's the little Dream Twilight League's, Zone that's going on there. <laughs> yeah, the Dream League's biggest problem here, to be honest, is it's confusing the hell out of everybody as to what it is. They want, and ideally, actually, it would be that St. Paul and Sugarland would go to MILB. They wouldn't go to a Dream League. They would right. essentially become AAA affiliates for, I would presume, the Astros and the Twins, respectively. However, let's be honest here. The Saints aren't exactly accepted by the affiliated minors community, or at least they weren't for a very, very long time. And uh, Mike Vec is obviously not uh, well liked in the MLB community, or hasn't been for quite some time, seeing as his dad uh, is responsible for the whole uh, disco demolition night in Chicago. Uh yeah, that, that's that same line of vintage there. Uh, I mean, the dude's own, well, not him, I believe, his family's own several major league clubs, and then he got the Saints going there. And obviously, it would take a lot of, you'd have to buy him out, and he doesn't want to be bought out, and he doesn't have, he doesn't need to be bought out either. So he could keep going for as long as he damn well pleases. And from what I see of the guy, he seems like he has the personality where he's going to go, look, I don't really care. I want to keep doing things my way, and uh, being affiliated ain't doing it my way. So I'm not doing that. I like that. I mean, I think that's better for for independent league baseball. I think that's better for baseball in general. Yeah. We're talking about professional baseball. It is better to have the Somerset Patriots, the Sugarland Skeeters. You need Renegades. Uh, yeah, you need the the Saints. You need the Skeeters. You need the Patriots. You need these teams that can do it on their own and are successful. The Ducks, especially. I mean, you need your your big. You need your cleanup hitter, right? <laughs> you need you need to have parity, and it's great to have these teams in independent baseball. They're so well run. Uh, they really are the the models in many ways. Uh, and and I you know you I just hope that uh, they stay that way for a very very long time because it's it's so important to like we've said to base I mean my first game when I was a young kid was a Somerset Patriots game that and you know you've talked about similar experiences with the Jackals and so it's just it's like when it's when it's your when you're a kid that's how you build fans that's what how you get people interested in baseball is at you know five years old you go to a somerset patriots game and you have somebody sign a baseball for you before the game you get a somerset patriots hat and then you go every year uh, or you know every t- a couple times a year I mean, it was always a big deal when we would go to these games when i was a kid um and it, 
it just made everything it made baseball be a family activity it made be- baseball be a positive experience such a positive experience and so for me i really do believe that uh you know to have these type of uh, teams that are really well run and you know i care a lot about their fans and the community and let me look at just i mean just look at what the patriots are doing in the community right now with our our wj barnabas help i mean it's just they're doing really good things i mean it's it's just a lot of a lot of these teams are so vital that it would be such a shame to see them kind of get i mean it would be great to see them get moved up into the affiliated ranks because they would be probably more successful uh in terms of fans you know number of fans per game that might help them attendance wise but uh it would be a shame in terms of what they've created in the community and that trust that they've created and the fact that they've had the autonomy to to create that trust uh is a big deal exactly yeah i mean like you start at the independent league levels whether it be the nork bears or it be the summer pages or wherever it may be and all in all i mean it's just to see them go away would be devastating plus we'd have to find a new shtick too uh that's also a major problem for us <laughs> that's right but, yeah that would be a problem for us <laughs> yeah but uh just kind of building off the whole saints thing too i also saw as a result of them not moving the rumor was that sioux falls would be the team then that would jump over and allow me to explain this further because i didn't i didn't hear anything about this until i started going down the rabbit hole on it so we know the city's looking into a new ballpark current one there it's old the canaries claim is 51 years old however i saw on wikipedia that it was opened in 1941 and obviously the math does not check out there obviously it makes it you know close to 80 years old than it does to 51 years old so make of that what you will any case it has been renovated since around 2000 and it's old it's outdated it needs to be well replaced basically so they want a new ballpark the city's probably going to build a new ballpark and essentially it goes sioux falls isn't that far from minneapolis and if it ain't that far from minneapolis and they want to move a double a team closer and sioux falls is going to build a brand new ballpark if you're the city of sioux falls would you rather have a twins affiliate there or would you rather have an independent league team there that's basically their whole base. It's based off of a tweet. However, I did hear on the show, on the uh, radio show that all of this is based off of, that the guy who tweeted out is kind of known as a little bit of a prankster, a little bit of a troll. So who knows what that means. I will say, though, to compare the Saints and the Canaries is not really a great comparison at all. One was first in attendance in, their, in the American Association. The other one was eighth. One drew over 8,000 fans a game. The other drew just a shade over 2,000 fans a game. So not really comparable at all. Basically, it's all based off of one city's getting a new ballpark. If you're getting a new ballpark and MILB's realigning, why not take a team with a new ballpark in? So that that's basically it. Also, there's also a major issue of there's no real definitive league that this team could play in. The most likely would probably be the Pacific Coast League, which is a AAA league, and that's as you could probably guess, mostly based on the West Coast and has all of like two teams in the general region of where the American Association is. That'd be Omaha, Nebraska, and Wichita, Kansas. So that's it. Yeah, that's not a not exactly ideal. <laughs> yeah, pretty far from that. That came from uh, John Gaskins and Craig Maddock 
from KWSN in Sioux Falls. Make of that what you will. Definitely. Make of that what you will is definitely how I would leave it at that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, there's a lot going on. And I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many moving pieces and moving factors. What I will say is that it's an interesting time to be talking about the future of independent league baseball, uh, see where it goes, but in minor league baseball in general. But uh, if I had a crystal ball, uh, I don't even know if the crystal ball could tell you what's going to happen because there's just so many variables that, you know, one thing could shift and, you know, it could change the whole thing. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen, uh, how long that there won't be baseball. Uh, maybe there'll be baseball pretty soon. Maybe there won't be for two years. I mean, there's there's wild, you know, shifts and all of these things that could take place. So, uh, you know, speculating is fun and it's interesting, but it is nothing more than that because I mean, it, it, even as, you know, uh, sourced out speculating as we do uh, and, and informed speculating as we do, it's it really at this point in time is everything is just so up in the air. Exactly. I just I don't I don't see like this happening. Like you said, it's hard to predict anything going forward because not only is there a lot of uncertainty that would exist without a pandemic, but a pandemic on top of it makes it really Really difficult. And one thing I did forget to mention here is that uh, Sioux Falls is short on cash as a city, apparently. And ah. it's very, uh, at least that's according to the radio show. I didn't fact check it any further than that because, quite uh, frankly, right. this whole thing, uh, it seems a little pie in the sky to me. And they said that this ballpark could cost possibly $70 million, which, oh. to be fair, <laughs> it, it's expensive, but that's also, roughly speaking, the going rate of ballparks i think the gastonium was 60 or 64 million so it's that and then they i don't want to harp on these guys too much because i don't like doing that kind of thing but i will say they were like so the city can't afford to pay for it uh so it'll have to be privately funded and they mentioned some large medical conglomerate that's in that general region of the country and all i was thinking was a if they build that new stadium and just do it because those guys want to build a ballpark and then put a team there. It will be a not out of their own pocket because no stadium gets privately funded anymore. And B, I don't care how broke the city is. They will wind up paying for that stadium one way or the other, or it just won't be built. It's as simple as that. Whether they have to take out loans or they have to take out bonds, whatever they have to do in order to get the money to build that ballpark that ballpark will not be privately funded because stadiums just aren't anymore. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, stadiums are privately funded, and it, 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 it just doesn't make sense to be privately funded. I mean, you know, I mean, yes. I think that there's, like, I think the Raiders were privately funded, right? Or, the, or did Las Vegas might have not even... I think died. it was Vegas. I think Kroenke got screwed with that. I think he got stuck yeah. with... I don't want to say screwed. Like, I'm pro-using taxpayer money, rather, to build... <laughs> multi-million dollar stadiums for millions upon billionaires that could probably afford to build it themselves. Right. I mean, right. But, I, I, you know, I'm just... the, the they're Right. I knew somebody, somebody did it in one of the leagues. But, I mean, for the most part, all of these stadiums at the highest level to the lowest level are getting some type of public assistance. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, we could have a debate on that. Um, on, on this type of level, it makes more sense to have the public... Uh, funding because it's directly going into the community. It becomes a community asset yes. at these lower levels. And also at they the do, levels. I just want to cut into also at this mm -hmm. level too, normally the community will retain some ownership of the building too. Right. 
or they'll mm-hmm. have more say in what happens with the building. So it's a lot better than at a professional, like, I don't want to say it's not professional at this level, but it is professional. Uh, not the major sport level, where it's like if an NBA stadium gets built and they have no say in it at all, they gave a bunch of tax breaks and money on top of the thing. It's obviously one deal's better than the other deal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, we're, we're comparing apples to oranges a little bit with some of it. But the, the point is that, uh, yeah, if this gets built, it's going to get built with some form of public money, uh, you would have to assume. And if there's no public money to be had, then quite frankly, I, I don't foresee it getting built. Obviously, I don't know. I'm not in Sioux Falls, so I don't know. Um, it's a potential. But if there's somebody that knows that wants to come on and talk, you know, we'll, we'll love to have them on. But as for right now, I, it's, there's no money to be had, as you're suggesting. Uh, I don't know if that's a possibility. Uh, let me say this much, though. If they build it, hell, I'll go to a game in Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota. Why not? Take a road trip out there. Pay oh, yeah? $15 a ticket to see one baseball game and then drive back to New Jersey. Oh, yeah? Well, you'll be doing it on your own without your co-host, let me tell you. Oh, you're no fun. <laughs> if they build it, I won't come. <laughs> oh, dearie. Uh, but, but yeah, that's about all I got for this week. don't really think there's anything else too pressing in the news. There's some player signings and whatnot, but that uh, we don't really cover individual player signings here unless it's a big name or part of a larger trend. So, I mean, I think that's... I'm going to kind of, before we jump into plugs and stuff, remind you, you should go back and listen to the Dennis Pelfrey interview that went up on Saturday. Uh, solid interview, in my opinion, is one of, if not the best interview we've done so far. Now, plug uh, the interview I did earlier today uh, with Carson Lee. That will come out on uh, Saturday, like I was about to say before I went to my remind me moment there. Uh, that was also a very strong interview. That one I really enjoyed doing. Uh, it was a lot more fun than I originally thought. I thought it was going to be something different, and it turned out to be something much, much better. And he tells a couple of really, really fun stories at the end of the interview, which, I mean, uh, they're, they may be the best part of the interview, although the whole thing's great. But yeah, those those two stories at the end are just terrific. So you're definitely going to want to pay attention to that one and watch that one come out too. So, Yep. Uh, with that said, let's t- jump into plugs. You can find us on Instagram at Indie Ball Pod and at Indie Ball Report, or Indie Ball Report and Indie Ball Report James on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at Indie Ball Pod. You can find us on YouTube at Indie Ball Report Podcast. You can find our website, which includes everything we do from podcast episodes to show notes to articles to videos to just fun graphics and whatnot. All of that will be located on IndieBallReport.com, www.IndieBallReport.com. That's where you can find all of that. The podcast is just about wherever you can find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Podomatic, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you know the deal. Wherever you can really find podcasts, we are there. And more than that, though, uh, you should be rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show to help us grow and do more fun things, like take a road trip out to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, that will be some time from now, but I will say this much. If we ever get to the point where we have, I don't know, let's say 10,000 plays on any one episode, then we will, I'm not going to say drive out to Sioux Falls because that sounds like a terrible drive. We will fly to South Dakota and see a Canaries game, providing that they still exist. (laughs) 
which seems like a very uh, odd caveat to have to add nowadays. Agreed. Providing that they still exist, I'll agree to that. If we get 10,000 plays on an episode, I will get myself a plane ticket, a Sioux Falls Canaries hat, and I will get myself to South Dakota. <laughs> so you heard it. That's the challenge. Currently, our Joe Torrey interview, that's out, it's at about 800 plays, so try and get that one up there for another, what is that, or 9,200 plays, 9,200 plays? <laughs> Yeah, and only 9,200 plays. That's only 9,200 plays to go. You heard the gauntlet. Go get it. Uh, so with that said, we have anything else left to add? Uh, just thank everybody who's been working uh, during this difficult time. Obviously, you know, there's every sector to thank and healthcare and, and uh, just all the essential employees and everybody, but just everyone. I'll put a blanket statement. Everybody who's working out there, uh, I want to thank you for your time and your service. I'm going to thank the meat packers because currently they're dropping like flies at the moment. Uh, they keep getting infected and whatnot. So thanks for going out there and keeping meat on the shelves. That, that's important. So we'll go with that this week for me. Uh, but echo, echo the sentiments there all around. With that being said and nothing else left to add, you know the drill. Until next time, don't forget to play ball.